When you need to refuel between meetings or running errands, or you just want a healthy snack that squashes your hunger, wonderful pistachios, which come in a variety of flavors and sizes, by the way, are the perfect choice to fill you up and keep you going throughout the day. Wonderful Pistachios is also a good source of protein and a zero-guilt snack. Each one-ounce serving has six grams of protein, guys, which gives you over 10% of your daily value. And with flavors like salt and pepper, sweet chili, and seasoned salt in the shelled variety, options like chili roasted, sea salt, and vinegar or jalapeno lime in the no-shell variety, you're sure to please your taste buds while snacking healthy. So check out wonderfulpistachios.com to learn more about how these little green wonders can power up your day. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. All right, who has not taken advantage of the week-free trial of the fitness app yet? Check it out. It is a one-stop shop for all your fitness, nutrition, and wellness needs. Custom meal plans, personalized workout programs, meditations, sleep programs, community, support, and so much more. You can use it on any device, anywhere, any place, anytime. No equipment needed or all the equipment in the world is in there. There's yoga, there's kickboxing, there's audio only workouts, there's HIIT training, weight loss programs, prenatal programs, anything and everything you can think of is in the fitness app. And if you go to thefitnessapp.com slash podcast deal, you can get 25% off an annual subscription for $89.99 a year. So check it out and start your free trial today. Welcome to Keeping It Real Conversations with Jillian Michaels. All right, guys, today's conversation is with gastroenterologist, Dr. Robin Chutkin. And we're going to be talking about her new book, The Antiviral Gut. Um, So it's all things microbiome, but in particular, her book is all about how you can support your microbiome in order to fend off infection, in particular, obviously, viral infections. So we're going to be looking at everything from COVID to venereal disease. Uh, Yeah, pretty interesting. You guys know I've become fascinated with this subject matter. And even Cindy was like, you know, we've talked about microbiome. I was like, we have, but we haven't talked about it with regard to infection. Did you know, Cindy? And then poor Cindy gets an earful that goes on for quite some time. Um, But guys, you know what's really fascinating about this is I've now devoured, I don't know, five different books on the subject matter. And every single time I'm learning something new. But what I find mind-blowing is that there are ways forward to help with things like autoimmune conditions, Alzheimer's, digestion, better skin, better everything, better energy, better immunity that we can control. And yet we... 
We don't. So this morning, I I run into a friend and he tells me his mother was just diagnosed with cancer. And he goes on to say that cancer and heart disease run in the family, right? Everybody on this side died of cancer and everybody on that side died of heart disease. And he's like, so I'm just fucked. I was like, you are not just fucked, honey. Where does that come from? You meet people who are struggling with different conditions. And for some reason, many of us believe it's a foregone conclusion, which dials back into our conversation about you are not your illness. Don't make your condition part of your identity. Uh, But there's a, so there's the element I'm constantly railing against, which is don't fight for it, right? You know, (laughs) you have no idea. I'm a PCOS warrior. And it's like, don't, what do you, don't fight for your sickness. And then stepping back from that, the one right before that one is don't accept it. There's no reason to accept this. If somebody told me I had terminal cancer, you have pancreatic cancer, I'd be like, all right, you know, lay it on me. What am I dealing with? I've got this many months to live, then I'm going to make a decision, right? Okay, do I fight this and spend the next six months of my life being absolutely miserable and in so much pain? Or do I enjoy three months and, you know, whatever? Then I'm going to, then I'm going to make those kinds of decisions. But when people are saying, oh, I've got this, or I'm even worse, I'm going to get this. I can't understand why. I, yeah. It blows my mind. And then you read books like The Antiviral Gut, The Microbiome Solution, um, or we talk to uh, you know, our cardiologist friends or our friggin', you know, guys like Dr. Lee, who cured his 80-year-old mother of cancer. And you know that there's a very empowered way forward. Doesn't mean we're not going to get sick. It just means that we can mitigate a ton of it, prevent some of it, right? Why not? And when we look at something like our microbiome, and I'm sorry if you've heard me say it before, but I, I really, really don't know that everyone's getting it. You are you have far less human cells in your body than foreign cells, meaning your body, I think it was like one out of 10 cells in your body as human. Mm. I can't remember. It's actually in Master Your Metabolism that I wrote over a decade ago. <laughs> but if you think about that for a second, right? That you've got bacteria and fungi and viruses and all these trillions and trillions of microbes. And you've got colonies in your brain and your nose, on your skin, in your gut. They're all having such a dramatic impact on your overall health. And Cindy, it's not that hard to take care of them. Yeah, yeah. It it isn't. Now, if we looked at diet and exercise, I would tell you, all right, hard, yeah, it can be hard. Simple, very simple, right? Move more, eat less, use common sense with your food choices, it's kind of a bitch, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you really want to go to the to fast food drive through and it's it's not fun to have broccoli instead of fried chicken. Even though, by the way, uh I just read something um from a doctor I, I really admire. Oh my god, back to microbiome, a totally different doctor, by the way, <laughs> who said 
She's like, you know, when you tell people you like vegetables, so many look at you like you're crazy. And she's like, but I do. And I thought, I do too. I can, Deshanna's like, what do you want for dinner? I'm like, can you make those garlic green beans and then that roast eggplant with za'atar on it? And then can you, can you make me, you know, the baked sweet potato and put that Greek yogurt? Like I can have whole dinners of vegetables like that. And I'm so happy. I'm so happy. And so many people are like, oh, it's disgusting. It's gross. So this one doctor was saying that when we eat like that consistently, the microbes in our gut that eat that food, right? That's their, that's their food. Those are prebiotics for them too, that flourish and thrive. They put out postbiotics, which are these short chain fatty acids that actually change our chemistry in such a way that we develop a taste for these vegetables. Mm. So it begets itself. That's something new that I just learned the other day. And I was like, oh my God, that's fascinating. And, you know, last night I was making Lou eat asparagus and she's like, (laughs) you know, gagging. I'm like, oh my God. And everything is gagged, by the way. Brussels sprouts, gag. Asparagus, gag. Everything's gag. Everything. Again, cauliflower, gag. And I'm I'm like, mama, it's not that bad. It's disgusting. And there's Parmesan cheese, (laughs) olive oil, right? Little black pepper. And you can't really win with this kid. And I got to tell you, hers and my son's taste buds are just tragic. They go for the worst possible things. Mm -hmm. And I've tried to control it. It didn't work. And now that when they get a little older, you stop trying to, you stop trying to, you can't really control them. You can't. They get bigger than you. And (laughs) my kids are the kind of kids that the more I tell them, like, don't do this. They'll say like, oh, okay. She says, you know, don't eat this, right? And they'll go along with it while they're in front of you because they don't want you to take away screen time or a phone or something. <laughs> but then they'll just go right behind your back and eat 10 times the amount of that. At a birthday they go to college. <laughs> yeah, you, exactly my point. Yeah. So I'd rather have an open dialogue with them and not have them feel like they need to sneak food. But she's just her palate is like you take that kid to a restaurant and she will go right for the worst thing on the menu Mm. phoenix at least like sushi and things like that like i can get him to eat things but lou's palate is just heavy salty you know she and she has no taste for it and i tried to think back to when i was a kid and i don't i don't think i had a taste for it but i don't remember you gag right my parents just didn't really they were parents of the 80s they don't they didn't know Right out of microwave breakfast. My mom thought it was awesome for me. It was like frozen sausages, little frozen <laughs> pancakes. and ah, uh. Right? I mean, I got lunches with like processed American cheese, mayonnaise and bread. And See, we were in a healthy family, so I don't know. But wow. We were, we really? Were the carob chip cookies. And Shut the up. Tablespoon of bran with your yogurt in the morning. And wow. That, that was my parents. But Your parents but were I, ahead of the times. Oh, I, that my mom totally. Totally. But I do remember when I was in college and, you know, go have a burger uh, at a fast food restaurant and then find myself after two, two days in a row of having it, craving it, which I never liked, by the way, before. Yeah, interesting, so right? there's something to be said about that. Oh, yeah. It must have done something to me. I was like, why am I craving this? It works I don't even for like you it. or so, against yeah. you. And Scary. it's it, I mean, so anyway, the, the long and the short of this is going into this episode and by the way 
all of our episodes, in particular with these medical masterminds, okay? These are great minds in medicine and science bringing us such incredible tools. I don't need you to use all of them. Try a few. Take a few of her tips. Read her book. It's the easiest read and it's very tip-based, right? So you're like, oh, wow. Like, you know, when I'm sick, do X, Y, and Z and it will accelerate how quickly I get better. Oh my God, I can prevent long COVID. I mean, it goes on and on. So go into it with the attitude that you are empowered to make a change. Nothing is a foregone conclusion. And look, I don't need, like I said, you don't need to change at all. Look for little things you can implement. And that's what I said to the guy this morning. I'm like, look, brother, you know, walk after dinner, right? Go and get your blood pressure checked and get your LDL checked. I used all the information. I sent him the episode with our fantastic cardiologist, Dr. Raish. I don't know if I might be still butchering this poor guy's name. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I mean, and I was like, worst case scenario, if you need to get on statins while you're working on this other stuff, but don't tell me you're going to die of a heart attack. <laughs> no, we're not doing any of that. So anyway, all right, with no further ado, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with Dr. Robin Chutkin talking about her new book, The Antiviral Gut. Your business was going great, but now your team is buried in manual work. If this is you, you should know these three numbers, 37,025, one. 37,000, that's the number of businesses which have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. 25, NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less. Close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. One, because your business is one of a kind. So you get a customized solution for all of your KPIs in one efficient system with one source of truth. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need to grow all in one place. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash Jillian. That's netsuite.com slash Jillian to get your own KPI checklist. netsuite.com slash Jillian. All right, team. You know, I love Skims underwear because I've mentioned them and have been wearing them for, gosh, a little over a year now. So I finally had to try their bras and Skims has delivered yet again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give. Even the underwire bras I wear all day are so comfortable, I barely even notice I'm wearing them. Whether it's the weightless scoop bra, the fits everybody bra, the plunge bra, the fits everybody t-shirt bra. I always get them in sand, so you never notice them. Super comfortable. Love them. Wear them nonstop all the time. Shop Skims Bras at skims.com now. Available in 62 sizes, 38 of 46H, plus get free shipping on orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know I sent you. After you place your order, select podcast in the survey and select my show in the drop-down menu that follows. All right, we are back with Dr. Robin Chutkin, and we are talking about her new book, The Antiviral Gut. Doc, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be on with you today. Well, I got to tell you, I'm excited to have you, and I loved your book. It has been a completely fresh take 
on microbiome, everything microbiome, um, because it's out there, but not in a way that's digestible, I think, for the masses and not in a way that gives people practical action steps to fix their microbiome and helps them with every aspect of their health and wellness. So anyway, before I I continue to kind of go on about that, I want to hear about you. Can you tell the audience a little bit about you, how you got where you are, your credentials, um, what you do on a day-to-day basis that makes you awesome? What is a gastroenterologist? (laughs) Well, first of all, I feel like your audience should listen to the pre-interview chit-chat that we were having about (laughs) stool and poo and checking out your kids' poo and making the animals... Well, not making, but it's okay for the animals to lick you. I mean, you guys can't see, but Jillian's cat was all up in her lap. And I'm like, that's actually great for the that's microbiome. For so, and she was like, no, 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 that we have to get this in the actual interview. Like, stop, stop talking. talking. So, yeah, but dog, this cat eats raw chicken. So is it still okay? It's I all mean, good. It's all good. All right. But, okay. But to, to answer your question, I started out in medical school. I went to Columbia for medical school and I started out wanting to be an orthopedic surgeon simply because my dad's an orthopedic surgeon. My brother's an orthopedic surgeon. I was like, I want to be an orthopedic surgeon. Family business. Family business. Within about 90 seconds of my orthopedic surgery rotation, give or take a minute or two, I said to myself, okay, this is fine, but there's a lot of carpentry involved here, (laughs) a little more sawing and hammering and, you know, drilling that I had anticipated. Yeah. I mean, for real, when they put those pins in. Oh, duck. So it was a little little bit of a process of elimination. Um, I like general surgery, but it was a little... It was a little like, yes, sir, no, sir, saluting, a little hierarchical with the surgeons, of, you know, down the ranks. Totally. Gastroenterology, when I, I finished medical school in 1991, and gastroenterology back then was not having the moment it's having now. People oh, were it was like, nowhere on the map. Nope. Yeah, they were like, you want to wade through people's poo? Why? But the thing, <laughs> the thing about it that appealed to me back then and even now is if you look at our bodies and you look at where your gut is, right, it's right in the center of your body. It is literally your engine and it feeds all these other organs. It feeds your brain and your heart and your lungs and your kidneys and your immune system. And we'll get into that gut immune connection, which I really never even understood in medical school. It's only until recently that I'm like, oh, now I get it in the last, you know, 10 years. But it just seemed like the gut was really central to what else was going on in people's bodies. And I love that, you know, this is something that affects men and women and young and old and everyone, you know, it just, yeah, it just seemed even to me back then, 30 years ago, it seemed pretty critical to what was going on in the rest of your body. So I ended up doing my, my medical training at Columbia. And then I did my GI specialization at Mount Sinai hospital also in New York. And then I came to DC in 1997, it's been 25 years to join the faculty at Georgetown. And my my area of interest, if you will, expertise is inflammatory bowel disease. So those are autoimmune conditions that affect both men and women, all extremes of age, but typically people are diagnosed at a young age. So that would be things like ulcerative colitis, Crohn's disease, celiac disease, things like that. And then in the, you know, I guess about a dozen years ago, I became really interested in the microbiome because it was very apparent that patients with these diseases 
also had pretty significant abnormalities in their microbiome. There are a couple landmark studies showing that there was kind of a microbial signature, like these characteristic changes. I was just writing down yeah. to ask you that question. I was yeah, like, absolutely. okay, is there a mechanism then? Are you suggesting that microbiome is linked to these autoimmune conditions? Uh, it's It's crystal clear now. And so we have over a hundred different autoimmune conditions now. So some of the common ones would be things like rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, multiple sclerosis, diabetes, but Parkinson's is also an autoimmune disease. And uh, of course, Crohn's, ulcerative colitis, eczema, Raynaud's, um, psoriasis. So the, the statistics are that one in four Americans have at least one autoimmune disease. And many people have multiple. So I have eczema, which is mostly on my elbows. I have a little Raynaud's, which is that phenomena where your fingers- I have, kind of they told me I have yeah. that. Very have common. The, the some, some marker in my blood test, some inflammatory positive marker. positive ANA. Yeah. Yes, and my mom ANA. has it, but I don't have any, I'm like, I'm cold. All right, the but the, the Raynaud's is pretty minor usually. So your fingers and cold, like with the change in temperature, or if you're at a cold supermarket, the fingers may turn a little white, get a little numb. Very common. I have something called urticaria too, which is like hives. So these things are really common. I mean, it's one in four is really common. And it turns out that people often have multiple autoimmune conditions. So in my patients, for example, who have Crohn's, they often also have things like psoriasis, erythema nodosum, other things. And that's because a root cause for a lot of these conditions is similar, right? There are disturbances in our microbiome. Now, those aren't the only reasons that people get autoimmune conditions. Because, I was going to say, okay, yeah. so that's what my next question was. Well, what about the genetic component, right? Because yes. we, you know, my, a good friend of mine has severe Crohn's. It's like his dad had Crohn's. So you start to think with these autoimmune conditions, I guess it's just, you know, such a huge genetic component. And the minute, the no. minute people throw that out there, you think it's a foregone conclusion and the game exactly. is just about over. Yeah. So, so these are not genetic diseases as when we think about genetics, we think about that sort of Mendelian inheritance, right? Like sickle cell or Tay-Sachs, where you can literally do your little math, your little Mendelian math, and you can calculate the risk, right? So if we think of a okay. trait like eye color, my mom has green eyes. My brother, sister, and I have brown eyes because my dad has brown eyes. So that's my mom is little b, little b. She has green eyes. My dad is big b, big b, brown eyes. When you do the math, one in four of the kids, you know, you can sort of predict. So my sister has brown eyes, but she's a big b and one little b, and the little b is recessive for eye color. Her husband has brown eyes, but his dad has blue eyes. So one of their kids came out little b, little b with blue eyes. And I can I could have predicted and said, okay, one in four of your kids or whatever the math is, Makes will have blue that. eyes. So that's a strictly wow. genetic, you know, Got it. quote. It's a numbers game. Okay. It's a numbers game. But doc, I can affect the expression of certain aspects of those genes absolutely. or? Absolutely, okay. you hit it okay. right on the head. So okay. the, there are all these, what we call epigenetic factors. So these are factors that affect the genetic expression. And to me, Jillian, this is the most beautiful, optimist, optimistic, hopeful, wonderful message we could have, which is to say your genes are not your destiny, right? right. They are just a suggestion. Got it. And and it, it can and that's why for some so none of these diseases are purely genetic. So you can have a genetic predisposition, 
But big epigenetic factors are how you live. Do you smoke? What kind of diet do you have? What kind of environmental factors? And one of the biggest epigenetic factors is a microbiome. And of course, that is also heavily influenced by diet. So what we see from identical twin studies, which is where we have a lot of this data, is we have two people with right. exactly the same genetic material. Right. If these were purely genetic diseases, we would see what we call them penetrance would be 100%. If one twin has it, the other would have it. Right. For most of these diseases, a penetrance is only like 20%, maybe 30, which means that there's a whole other, you know, 70 to 80% piece that is environmental. And what's really incredible, Jillian, is if we look at the 30 years since the human genome was able to map the entire human genome, how many genetic diseases have we cured since then? Zero. Zero. Because these diseases, the vast majority of them are not purely genetic. So what we've started to see oh with these my diseases like Crohn's, ulcerative colitis, MS, et cetera, is that there's a genetic predisposition, which, which isn't, you don't have to have that, but if you have that, it slightly increases the risk. Right. But there are like always cancer. environmental Alzheimer's. Yeah. Breast, if we look at something like Alzheimer's, which is very near and dear to me because my mom ha has Alzheimer's and has a very strong family history. Her mother, three of her maternal aunts. I mean, you follow it down the line. It's very strong. My mom was an incredibly healthy is person. She's 82 on no medication. She has nothing wrong with her except the Alzheimer's. She was an athlete. She ate a healthy diet. She never smoked, drank, all of that. But she has two copies of the ApoE4 gene that's very strongly associated. So in her case, you know, that train was kind of leaving the station. I have one copy. So I have an increased risk, but that's a very modifiable risk. And so, you know, the things that you can do in terms of how you live, the food you eat, your habits, keeping your mind active, exercise. I think about that. I'm like, I, I can actually, Change you know. It. They're yeah, off course with this it. thing, right? I can change it. And I think that's a, that's so important for people to know that your genes are not your destiny. And what we see with, you know, even more incredible, what we see with a microbiome, when we think like, okay, what are all these trillions of bugs that live inside us, mostly our gut doing? They're digesting food. They're synthesizing vitamins that we can't make on our own. They're clearing toxins. They're training our immune system. And they are actually modulating our genes, which means they are literally flicking these switches on and off the different genes. And we know from a landmark study from the journal Nature in 2014, that within about 30 hours of food hitting the gut of a change in your diet, we can see different genes activated and inactivated, right? So you can have a strong family history of heart disease and all these risk factors, and you can change. I mean, like you can't change your age and some of these different things, but you can change your diet. You can change how active you are. You can change whether you smoke or not, all of these things. And you can see that risk for heart disease, just, you know, take a nosedive. You're telling me that you can see genetic expression quickly? Absolutely. Now that how? doesn't mean your risk... It doesn't mean your risk for heart disease is going to go away in 30 hours, right? 
But the point is that the dietary changes, and this study specifically was they took, there've been lots of studies looking at different populations. So there's a famous study where they looked at kids in Italy eating kind of a standard American diet and kids in Burkina Faso eating a primarily plant-based diet. And they found that, you know, as soon as the kids graduate from breast milk to table food with these very different diets, the microbiomes change dramatically. Dramatically. But those are looking at people environmentally in very different conditions. This study that I mentioned from Nature took people in the same area in Boston and they fed them a high fat, high animal protein kind of Atkins type diet. And they looked at the microbiome before, during and after. They rested the same group of people in the same environment for about five days. And then they put them on a plant-based diet, a high fiber diet you know, mango instead of pork rinds for snack. And this is when they saw not only did the microbial species start to change, but they saw different genes turned on or off. Again, that doesn't mean your risk changes in 30 days, but you can start to modify. Right. Over time with consistent behaviors. Absolutely. So, So doc, your book, the antiviral gut, tell me about this. What what made you write this? What is the book about? Um, I'm already halfway through it, but tell the audience about sure, this. Sure, absolutely, absolutely. And and again, thank you so much for giving me this opportunity to sort of bring this to your community. I'd written three previous books on digestive health. Gutless was the first one, then The Microbiome Solution, The Bloat Cure. And I hadn't written a book in about, let's see, the last one was 2016. So it'd been over five years. And I started seeing all these really groundbreaking articles coming out linking what was going on in the gut to risks of viral infections. The first one was summer 2020, when a large population-based study, over 50,000 people came out showing that not having stomach acid in people who were on these acid-blocking drugs, proton pump inhibitors, led to double the risk for having COVID. And if you were taking these drugs twice a day, you had almost quadruple the risk. And Julian, I remember saying to my husband, who is not in medicine, he's a counterterrorism, counterintelligence, cybersecurity, <laughs> super spy guy. I'll have to shoot you. I want to be in your house for a day. About I'll just be a fly on the wall for <laughs> these really. conversations. Our oh teenage my God. daughter cannot get away with anything. Let me just tell you that. But, <laughs> um, and I said to him, I said, Eric, you know that if you don't have stomach acid, you're more likely to have COVID, right? And he looked at me, he was like, huh? And, you know, he hears me chatting about this stuff all the time. And I said, but you understand, right? Like stomach acid is one of your major defenses. It kills a viral protein, you know, inactivates it. And he was like, no, I have no idea. And then I started asking some of my medical colleagues. And I also got a kind of, huh? I started asking my GI colleagues. They also were like, really? And that's when I was like, okay, people maybe don't know this stuff. And then a couple months later, that was followed by another article, that big study, and this study was done in, there was one version of it done in China. The study was also replicated in the US and Michigan. And they basically looked at uh, analysis of the microbiome, looking at literally taking a smear of stool, analyzing it. And based on the composition of the microbiome, they found that that was able to predict outcome after COVID with 92% accuracy which was way higher than looking at things like comorbidities, age, gender, even inflammatory markers that you measure in the blood, right? And so what they found is that people with a particular high level of a particular bacterium called Fecalobacterium prosnitzii, we call it F. prosnitzii for short, 
And FPROSNIT-CI is associated with eating a high-fiber diet, high levels of short-chain fatty acids, a lot of other sort of good things in the gut. But high levels of FPROSNIT-CI was associated with a much better outcome, lower likelihood of being on a ventilator, lower likelihood of ICU, lower likelihood of death. And conversely, another bacteria, Enterococcus faecalis, high levels of that was associated with a worse outcome. So this thing was super highly predictive. And again, much more predictive than all the other sort of traditional parameters we think about. And that's because what's going on in your microbiome is so closely tied to your immune response. And so the combination of those two studies, to me, just from a public health point of view, and, and I do want to say that this book is completely compatible with whatever your beliefs are about vaccines, et cetera. Like this oh, is not yeah. instead of socially distancing, wearing a mask, getting a vaccination, et cetera. This is in addition to. Well, that that and, goes without saying. You're, you're boosting somebody's immune system. Exactly. And my guess is, and I'm going to ask you about this, obviously, but that when you are supporting, building, nurturing your microbiome, such as COVID you're defending against. A hundred percent. Is it the microbiome that's making some people be asymptomatic? Absolutely, be resistant. And to give you an even more traumatic example, there are some people who are completely resistant to HIV, to human immunodeficiency virus. No matter how many times they get exposed, they will never develop AIDS. There are people who are more resistant to sexually transmitted diseases. So if we think about, you know, the alphabet soup of HPV, HIV, HSV, so human papillomavirus, herpes, HIV, depending on your vaginal microbiome, and particularly in the gut diversity rules, right? We want a very diverse microbiome, but in the vagina, monoculture, and one species is like queen bee in the vagina, and that's a species of lactobacillus bacteria. And lactobacillus actually produce acid that repels these other viral things. So if you are a woman with a healthy vaginal microflora, which means you have high levels of lactobacillus, you are dramatically less likely to become infected when you're exposed to not just herpes and HPV, but also HIV. And so women who have bacterial vaginosis, which is basically higher levels of other vaginal bacteria that are normally there, but now in higher levels, like Gardnerella and Prevotella and so on, and their lactobacillus is low, they're at much higher risk. And again, let me say, like, this should not be the way you protect yourself from STDs, right? By like, okay, I've got a great vagina, I've got lots of lactobacillus, you still, <laughs> that's not enough, let me be clear. The point is, it's not an accident right? This stuff is predictable. It is preventable. Or as I say in the book, it's at least forecastable or reducible. And I want people to know, just like when I look at GI disorders, like reflux, you know, Crohn's, ulcers, this stuff generally does not fall out of the sky into your lap and flatten you, right? There are, we can follow those breadcrumbs backwards. And again, not blaming anybody who gets sick or has a poor outcome, but the point is to empower people. Yes. To say there are things that you yes. can do Absolutely. to decrease your risk, to make yourself more resilient. And so if we can do that, why wouldn't we? Because the other crazy thing is in the last 50 years, there have been more than 30 different viruses, new for which there is no cure or treatment. So it's not just SARS-CoV-2, it's HIV, it's Ebola, it's hepatitis C, it's, and, and there was another big study from Duke University last year in 2021, 
that calculated the likelihood of a pandemic like COVID happening, and they calculated that risk as about 2% per year. So if somebody's born in 2020, Jillian, that means they would have had a 44% likelihood by now. Wow. Okay. And the risk, the risk is increasing. So, you know, the book is not like a fair mongering. I don't want anybody to panic. In fact, no, we're not even close. It's awesome. It tells you exactly what to do to bulletproof your body. The book is amazing. And we got to take you. a break. But when we come back, I have about a thousand more questions for you. <laughs> so um, guys, stick around. I just want to tell you what to do. Obviously get the book, but what to do to start bulletproofing your body. We'll be right back with Dr. Robin Chutkin. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past. And the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select podcast in the survey and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. All right, guys, we are back with Dr. Robin Chekin, and we are talking about her new book, The Antiviral Gut, by far my favorite book on the subject matter to date. Um, Doc, there's, I've, I've been reading um, and watching TED Talks on your brain having a microbiome, your nose having a microbiome, and at first, you know, your vagina having a microbiome. And at first I was like, wow, really? What about like the brain, blood, this barrier and that barrier? And then I started to think back to the days when they would like, you know, show you in science class, the, the little mites on your eyelashes. So it, all of a sudden I was like, well, of course this makes sense. But does everything you recommend in the antiviral gut also restore or support the microbiome in your brain or the microbiome in your nose or the microbiome in your vagina? Like, is it what's good for the goose is good for all those microbes in your body? Absolutely. Because as you said, Julian, they're different communities. In fact, the microbiome community on my face, on my cheek is completely different from, you know, half an inch lower down under the nasolabial fold, right? But the point is just because of the different moisture content and oxygen content on a skin fold, completely different community from literally like, you know, a quarter of an inch then off how do I support on the surface. All these communities, you, you, okay, so there's two real things you do. Number one, recognizing what is your body trying to do to support these communities that you need to not sabotage, right? So Got it. let's not... 
you know, eat food that's been highly pesticized, uh -huh. let's eat food that's grown in microbially rich soil so that we're getting all those soil microbes. Let's not, you know, super sanitize our bodies with, you know, removing every single microbe because these microbes, not just the ones inside our gut, but even on our skin. When we look at conditions like eczema, that's often associated with a microbiome that's been disrupted, right? So number one, Let's understand what these host defenses are. Stomach acid, mucus, even something like fever. A fever, when we have a high fever, when we have a viral infection, part of the role of that fever is to stop viral replication. So if we look at something like poliovirus, poliovirus replicates 250 times faster at a normal body temperature compared to when we have a fever. So if you understand that, you you are then not reaching for the Motrin or the Tylenol, like the first sign of a fever. fever. And so in the book, I give you guidelines. Okay, what else can you do to make yourself comfortable? When should you take those medications? Not at the first sign of a fever. What about your kid? So all these different things, because I realize that it's not enough to just tell people this is what's going on. You, you know, giving those actionable steps of what to do. What about these medications that are detrimental to the microbiome? What could you take instead? What about a lower dose? What about a different alternative? So I really try and take people through those steps. But again, number one, understanding how not to sabotage these basic host defenses. And then the second step is how to sort of enhance them, right? How to optimize your immune system to make it work right. for you. You yes. don't want a too active immune system because then you end up, you know, remember a lot of the people who have had poor outcomes. That's autoimmune disease, right? Is when the, when the immune system, that's the cytokine storm. The cytokine many, storm, too active and you're destroying right. normal healthy tissue. You don't want that. You don't want an underactive immune system where it's not active enough to clear the virus. So you want this Goldilocks immune system I like to talk right. about just right. What do you need to do to get a just right immune system? What do you need to eat? What do you need to not take medication-wise? Even your sleep, stress, how does all of this affect these different bodily functions? And that, you know, really for all the books, that's my overall goal is I, it's like a user's manual, right? Like I want you to understand how this stuff works and it's all connected. And, and especially when we think about post-viral syndromes, right? Which are not this new. This is long I mean, COVID, right? Doc? Long COVID. So we have long mono, right? Long EBV, yes, which that's is called mono. Right? Okay, exactly. I understand. And Got we it. have, you know, long hepatitis C, which is called chronic hepatitis and cirrhosis. And we have long HIV, which is AIDS, right? So post-viral syndromes are not new. And just like when we look at initial outcome after a virus, there are factors, risk factors that we can identify and we can mitigate to decrease your chances of having post-viral symptoms and to improve your symptoms if you do have post-viral symptoms. And it's incredible how much overlap there is. Like if you look at chronic fatigue syndrome, which we now call ME-CFS, myalgic encephalomyelitis, chronic fatigue syndrome, we see a lot of the same changes, a lot of the disruption in the microbiome, very similar researchers at Cornell did studies where they can identify chronic fatigue syndrome just from looking at the microbiome. So we know there's lots of similarities with these syndromes. And, you know, we can't make everybody 100% better 100% of the time, but there's a lot that we can do to A, prevent these post-viral syndromes from happening and B, improve the symptoms for people who are suffering. And, you know, these are very real symptoms. I, I can't believe at the beginning of the pandemic that people were even doubting that this stuff, you know, is real. Like, of course this stuff is real and we have so much precedent in all these other viral illnesses. Okay, why? So, so a couple of questions building off of that. Why are there not anti 
virals that are probiotics. I don't understand. I thought for sure we would have had that already for COVID. I know we have Paxlovid um, and we had a, um, one of our regulars who I adore named Dr. Lee kind of explained a little bit about it to us. And it's like oh, an old that Will drug. Lee? Will yes. Lee? Yeah, yeah, I yes. love him. He's wonderful. Oh, yeah, he's, he's great. He's the best. I love, I, he's, he's just a, a brilliant guy, just like yourself. Um, a brilliant human like yourself. And, uh, but what I don't understand, I thought for sure that there would be probiotics that were antivirals over the counter prophylactic probiotics and it never it never came okay so let's dig into that a little bit we have stool transplants right fecal transplants and you can change your microbiome but in order to affect meaningful lasting change you have to feed the microbes what they need so ultimately what to get really meaningful recolonization and repopulation it's more than just ingesting a probiotic or even right, getting a stool transplant it is a pre it is what we feed them and it is our habit so again if you are trying to generate a community of fecalobacterium prosnitzii but you're eating you know steak and cheese all day long and that's not the food they need they need fiber or you're taking antibiotics or acid blockers or you're not getting out and getting exposed to soil microbes to enhance your microbiome. So it's not just a one and done, you know, and those things So we have data from Italy, high doses of a probiotic in sort of mega doses, more than what you would get off the counter, off the, off the shelf in a study in Italy, decrease rates of ICU admission, needing a ventilator and death very clearly. But this was a super, super high dose given in hospitalized patients. And we we can see those results, but again, to reap those meaningful benefits, it's not the pill that you take; it's the food that you eat every day. It's how you live every day. It's the, you know, right. we have we have studies have that known show. That. I, well, no, but I'm I mean, I, think you, I should have known that, Doc. I no, 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 but they can they can still help, right? So they can yeah. you can certainly enhance things this way. So not to suggest that those things are a total waste of time. But there's one of my favorite studies is in college students that show that when they're stressed, levels of this particular not so helpful bacteria can increase a thousand fold in an hour with the stress. So I want people to think about that and take some deep, you know, meditative breaths after that. Yeah, yeah. So it's all, it's not, you know, any one sort of magic bullet, right? It's everything. And probiotics definitely have a role and we're seeing really great research not just for antiviral effects, but with things like Parkinson's and autism, ulcerative colitis, all of these things. But it's really the sum total of all of it, right? To move us in the yeah, right direction. Multifactorial. I, I understand completely. Um, Doc, obviously, you know, the book is, how many pages is this bad boy? 250 pages. And it includes recipes guys so recipes to feed the gut like we're talking about here um but it really is an absolute manual of do's and don'ts and it's more than just bulletproofing with regard to sickness it's improved health across the board um if you had to give me your three foods doc that you you like must have should always incorporate um three behaviors and Three, like never judge these. Three foods that you you would have to have. Your top three. Love this. Okay. So my number one would be lentils. And these are what we call MACs, M-A-Cs, microbiota accessible carbohydrates. So that includes 
you know, high fiber foods like the obvious, the green leafy vegetables, all of that, the stringy fiber, but legumes are one of those major microbiota accessible carbohydrates. And I just mentioned lentils because I love them. I curry them. I eat them almost every day. So how um, much does that anti-lectin diet piss you off then? Yeah, kind I have to say I'm not, I'm not a subscriber <laughs> to that, but you know, it's like religion, right? Everybody do your thing. <laughs> Perfect. Great. Legumes. Got so it. I would say legumes, number one. Okay. I would say number two, fermented foods. And here's the thing about fermented foods. You don't have to eat a ton of them. I mean, I am not a big kimchi fan. I can <laughs> tolerate some sauerkraut, but I like a tablespoon of sauerkraut is getting you 10 grams. And with that 10 grams, you are getting up to 28 different strains of bacteria that are all producing these incredible compounds for you, right? So it's like a living food. So okay. you don't have to love it, but oh, think about I a tablespoon of sauerkraut. It's the only one day. I can't do. And it's the one you mentioned, <laughs> literally the only one. No, sa sauerkraut is good. Just a plain sauerkraut. And you know what? If you can't do sauerkraut, just eat some cabbage. The third thing might surprise you, and that's just water. That's straight up water. I don't mean vitamin water or this water, alkaline water, just water. And here's why. Our digestive tract is one of the major organs of elimination. That's how we also get the virus out of our body, right? And so many people are walking around dehydrated. dehydrated. Let me take a sip of water to celebrate that. Um, so I was celebrate not being hydrated. Friggin' dehydrated, yeah. Yeah, I gotcha. ju just water gets this thing out. I mean, this you can shed the virus in your stool for days after you test negative, negative for yep. it in terms of That's a swab, right. right? So your yes. gut is still eliminating it. And we know that the receptors for SARS-CoV-2, the ACE2 receptors, we have about a hundred times more of those receptors in our gut than in our lungs. And that's why for so many people, that is the route of entry is through the mouth and the GI tract binds to those receptors, infects the cell. And that's why so many people have had GI symptoms with this virus, diarrhea, vomiting, nausea, et cetera. So you have to take advantage of that major organ of elimination and hydrate yourself really well. So I, I put that on the list too. Okay, okay. Three, three things that you should never do. Just don't drink soda, just don't. It's just full of chemicals, right? Yep. You, you look at the list of ingredients. This isn't food, it's a chemistry experiment. Don't do it. <laughs> artificial sweeteners, same thing. Artificial sweeteners are terrible for your microbiome. They can turn fairly harmless or even helpful bacteria into more pathogenic bacteria. They do really bad things in your gut and they really don't save you calories when you get right down to it no. because you know that you no, get the don't. same bump in insulin, right? And, yep. and insulin is a hormone that controls fat storage. So Forget the artificial sweetener and just do, you know, a little bit of honey, sugar, whatever, but don't overdo it. So right. that would be another one of my don'ts. You're suggesting common sense. That's so rare. Doc, the, the third one <laughs> would be um, these really just uh, here. I love Michael Pollan's rule that, you know, if it has ingredients that you've never heard of or that your grandmother wouldn't recognize as food, don't eat it. So, you know, eat real food. And don't worry so much about the calories because here's a deal. If you are eating a real food, your body can assimilate those nutrients. I mean, you've seen all the articles recently about ultra processed foods. It's not just that those foods don't have real nutrients that your body can assimilate. It's that those foods have things like emulsifiers and various other things in them 
to make to increase the you know the shelf stability that actually are really harmful to your gut lining and to the microbes. So, you know, when people pull out these you know funky different bars and things, and I start reading the ingredients, I'm like, yeah. have you ever heard of this? Does this grow on a tree? <laughs> you know. <laughs> Does this, where, where can I buy this ingredient other than oh the chemistry God. lab? That's and then awesome. the, the things, oh. so that's the three foods, good and bad. And then the three things, um, three habits, three habits. that I would, yeah. So here are the three habits that I would recommend. Number one, there is this thing called the open air factor, which is defined as a germicidal constituent in air that can kill pathogenic viruses and bacteria. And we know about this, Jillian, from 100 years ago, when we looked at the mortality rates for soldiers who were recovering outside on cots versus inside the hospital, we saw a 13% mortality for outside and a 40, 40% mortality inside. So we have known for 100 years that there is something about open air that actually is, is harmful to these deadly pathogens. And that's different from the whole sunlight thing, right? It's literally called the open air factor. And so what I want to encourage everybody to do, if you can't get out and like walk in the open woods and the forest, they, open the window, open the car window, open the front door, let a little fresh air in. The second thing I would recommend is get some sleep. And if you really want to go deep in this, read Matthew Walker's book, Why We Sleep, or read uh, Sean Stevenson's book, Sleep Better. I think those are both great books. But the sleep, when I first turned in the first draft of this manuscript, the sleep chapter was 62 pages. And my editor was like, um, this is actually not a sleep book. You're a gastroenterologist. You need to dial this back. But I was so fascinated. I mean, here's, do you know that when you are sleep deprived, the vaccine efficacy can be 50% less because of the drop in your immune function with sleep deprivation. So here, oh let God. me make sure I get the statistic right for you. Studies showed that people who are significantly sleep deprived are have up to a 76% higher likelihood of you know, becoming sick when they're exposed to a virus. And for every hour of sleep you get, that risk drops by 12%. I mean, the, the vaccine, we've known about that for the influenza vaccine, wow. for the hepatitis vaccine, and now for COVID. Oh so God. you have, I mean, it is like rebooting your computer, right? If you are not sleeping, you are going to get sick and you are going okay. to have a worse outcome. And we have so much data from that, from multiple different viruses. So I tell you, I mean, researching this book and particularly the sleep part, I was like, okay, that's it. No more going to bed at 2 a.m. I am shutting it down and, you know, starting my downward descent towards the bed, <laughs> starting around 10, 30, 11. And, you know, you see that again, you see it in college students during exam time when they're sleep deprived, they get mono, they get the flu, they get sick, they're stressed and sleep deprived. And that is yeah. not an accident that is real. So in addition to, you know, what can you do? Can you eat some sauerkraut? Can you drink some water? Can you have some lentils? Can you make a green smoothie? But these other habits, you know, don't immediately take an antipyretic to bring down your fever when you have a fever. There's really fascinating stuff about mucus. Mucus actually ensnares viruses and repels them from your body. Get some sleep. Try not to be too stressed out. Like if we support our body with its antiviral and kind of pro-health strategies, we can do a lot to enhance our health and to increase our resilience to viruses. But we really have to understand what these mechanisms are 
and understand how to optimize them. And that is, you know, that's been my great pleasure and honor with this book is to bring this to a larger audience and to say, here, this is how it works. Book is fantastic. And it's Thank you. so, um, you, you have a way of disseminating the information and uh, fee- spoon feeding us the information that literally makes it like reading a book for a fifth grader. Like it's not, <laughs> sometimes, you know, people get so intimidated sometimes and to be truthful, it's it's been one of the reasons I've been so successful is because I talk to a lot of doctors or biochemists and I'm like, nah, because of my ADD, I'm like, give it, give it, give it to me in English. I can't like <laughs> teach me like I'm a fifth grader and then I can turn around and explain it in the fifth grader way. And everyone's like, oh yeah, I understand. You do that automatically for us, well, which is fantastic. It's so easy to get the info and apply it. Well, thank you for that. But here, here's the thing. I really, from the bottom of my heart, want to say this. We have not done a great job in the medical community of educating people, right? We're really good at diagnosing and prescribing yeah. and testing. Yeah. And what is fascinating is in the five or six years since the last book came out, the landscape is totally different for propagating the information. And we really rely on people like you who have, you know, you have these audiences these these communities that really rely on you to disseminate the information. And so I feel like it's such an important part of the medical process, right? Like we take the information from these people doing the studies. Sometimes we've been involved in some of the studies and we write books, but then you take the books and you take the information and you broadcast it out. And I try to. I know. Because I, it, it, I can recognize brilliance. Um and and you are that, but you you are also one of the most well spoken individuals I think I've ever had the pleasure of conversing with. Oh, thank you for that, Doc. I know I need to let you go, but I would love to have you back to talk about microbiome and obesity, how everybody's trying to alkalize the body, and now you're talking about <laughs> stomach acid being so so important. Um, I would love to create a series with you if you'd be open to it. Oh my God, I would love to. I am at your disposal. Let's do a series together. I would love oh it. Oh my God, I would love it. I mean, guys, I got to tell you, like literally there's so much I didn't get to cover, which is a bit frustrating to me in the book. Obviously the point of it is that of course you go and get the book, um, but you're going to learn all about leaky gut, the gut immune connection. I mean, all the things we talked about, the book's incredible, and it is called The Antiviral Gut. Go get it. Um, Doc, you're magnificent. I could talk to you for hours. Cindy would have a meltdown. So we will come up with a series, (laughs) and I would love to have, like, let's do six of the hottest topics. Email us with your questions um, for Dr. Robin Chetkin, because I know it's not easy to go see her yourself, and it's very difficult to find doctors like her. This is why we have people like her on the show. So send us your questions, jillianpodcast at gmail.com. And Doc, other than the book, where can we get more? Websites? Are you taking patients? I mean, obviously, I'm sure you're not just like, I'm not able to take client or you know, personal training clients, which is why we write books, but where do we get more from you? You can find me at robinchutkan.com. Tricky first name, R-O-B-Y-N-N-E. Tricky last name, (laughs) C-H-U-T-K-A-N.com. You can also find me at Gupless on Instagram. And I'm not taking new patients right now, but what I am doing, and it's literally my favorite part of the week, is I do a free office hours every Tuesday at noon. It's an hour. I've been doing it on Zoom, but October, I'm switching it to Instagram Live. So by the time this airs, we'll be on Instagram Live. It's every Tuesday at noon, and we do a different topic. So we do leaky gut. Does it increase 
does it increase susceptibility to viruses? 10 things to ask your doctor if you've been prescribed an antibiotic, the microbiome and menopause, we've every topic. Oh, oh my God, I love this. We adore you. Go get the book, The Antiviral Gut. Send us your questions for Dr. Robin Chutkin at jillianpodcast at gmail.com. If you're enjoying the show, do us a big favor and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts because it just helps us get the show out there, get heard by more people. We really appreciate it.